This episode is brought to you by What's the Big Idea? An indispensable guide to becoming a kick-ass creative director. By yours truly, Jaime Cabrera. Pick it up on Amazon and now available on Audible. If you've always wanted to know what it takes to be a commercial director, you need to check out commercialdirectingfilmschool.com. I'm signed up for the Filmmaker Bundle, which includes the Masterclass, the Online Shadow, and the Case Study Masterclass. It's got 100% five-star reviews, and it also includes a 30-minute call with the master himself, my friend Jordan Brady, who's directed more than 1,300 commercials for top brands. And right now, exclusively for my listeners, use the code BIGIDEA, one word, to get a whopping $100 off either the Masterclass or the Shadow Course. Again, the code BIGIDEA, one word, for $100 off. Go to commercialdirectingfilmschool.com and get started today. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for aspiring creative directors, for creatives of all types looking to up their game by listening and learning from the very best in the business. This is your podcast, and I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. Welcome back. On today's show, I have creative director extraordinaire Brett Esman from ad agency Preston Spire in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Brett's here to talk about being proactive as a creative director and looking for the opportunity to create big ideas in every brief. And when you really boil that down, what he's really describing is this idea of not becoming complacent, but pushing yourself to go above and beyond. It's about the grit and perseverance you need to get to to do the work that makes you feel fulfilled. And what I love about Brett is that it's not all talk. He's got real case studies to back it up. So without further ado, let's get into it with Brett Esman. Brett Esman, how are you, buddy? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's nice to have you on the show. Finally, we've been uh, trading communications uh, for a while and trying to get you on on the show. So I'm super excited that we finally uh, found the time to make it work. Uh, welcome to Confessions of a Creative Director. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I know I'm uh, filling in after some really big shoes. So you must have. Must have ran out of talented people to talk to. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. You are. You are. I will grant you that. That those are big shoes. You're coming in after uh, Greg Hahn for the 50th episode, and and of course I uh, just had uh, Marjorie Johnson from uh, Goodby Silverstein and Partners on. But you know what? This show has always been about uh, highlighting great creatives, great creative directors, people from all across the country working at shops big and small. And so when when you reached out to me and and we started talking and I saw the kind of work that you were doing, it's, you know, it's all one and the same to me. I feel like great work is great work, uh, whether you're doing it for, uh, you know, the biggest clients in the world or you're doing it for, you know, a regional client, whatever it is, it's about the work and it's about the people. So, uh uh, welcome to the show, and I think you you belong in the in the pantheon of confessions of a creative director. <laughs> wow, well, thank you. I uh, 
hope my head doesn't get any bigger than what it already is. I'm already having a hard time buying baseball caps. So I, no. I, I wanted to I, I want you to kind of give us a, a, a little tour of your career here. But I was and going through your uh, profile and doing my research, I was struck by what you have in your about section. And it says, I'm an idea first creative that proactively brings solutions to clients before they ask for them. My personal motto is get shit done. Also, I love Oreos, not double stuff, the, the OGs. Yep. I love that. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. And again, that's what I love about um, you know, creative people that are working at, at uh, different size shops. I mean, it's really, at the end of the day, it's about being idea first and idea driven. So I love that. We're going to get into that. But before we do that, let's let's hear a little bit about where you've been and what you've done and uh, let the audience uh, know what's been going on. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I initially got into advertising because when I was doing my undergraduate, undergraduate at St. Cloud State, which is a small school north of Minneapolis, they said that you needed a portfolio. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to do that. I'll, I'll go into advertising. That seemed way cooler. So as I was going through the program, um, I, was, I, I joined the Ad Fed Club, and we came down to Minneapolis, and we, we toured Fallon. And this is like during their heyday, you know, like right after they did BMW Films. Like the, the space is great. They had a BMW in the lobby. It was beautiful. And so they're like, you know, what do you want to do in advertising? I'm like, oh, I just want to make ads. They're like, cool. Well, let me see your book. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I, I don't want to write books. Like, I want to make ads. I want to make advertising. They're like, yeah. no, you, no, you idiot. Like, a book is a portfolio. You need a portfolio. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I should have went back into design. So um, when I graduated, uh, I literally rolled into, uh, enrolled into Branco um, Advertising School of Design two weeks after I graduated. Did that whole thing, worked with a lot of great writers, got into um, CMYK, that magazine for students. And then when I graduated, it was, I think it was 08 or 09, but it was in the heart of recession. So all my instructors were getting let go. They were, you know, they were, wow. they were becoming like, they were like, I, I'm losing my job as a creative director. I'm going to go, you know, be at Crispin to be, you know, an intern or something. And so I was working at Kinko's at the time. And so I was making, I don't know, eight bucks an hour wearing like the Star Trek uniform and printing my book for free when people still printed their book. And so I got an email from Alec Bogusky because I, I think before Christmas that year, I'm like, hey, man, I want to work there. So they flew me out the day after I graduated. And I'm like, wow, hey, holy shit. Like, this is going to be awesome. I'm like defeating all odds. My first real time interview so I think I had like 10 too many cups of coffee. I was like all over the place. I got to talk to Andrew Keller and Rob Riley. And I ended up not getting the job. But I, I told my, my now wife that, you know, once I get a job in advertising, I will, will get married. And so it, it took about a month before they got back to me. And so I proposed to my wife. She said yes. And then I didn't get the job. I'm like, oh, I'm like, fuck. How am I? How am I going to pay for this ring now? I'm like, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, I'm getting nine bucks an hour at Kinko's, and so it was tough. No one, no one was hiring, and so I'm like, God, I'm never going to get into advertising. Like, I'm going to be like a regional manager at Kinko's, like, you know, like printing stuff for like the Best Buys and everything. <laughs> and and I luckily got in at FCB Chicago. I was working on Motorola when they were still around, doing like below the line stuff, like. Posters that would end up at break rooms at T-Mobile, AT&T. Um, I did that for about a year, and then I went over to Havas down the street. 
worked there for a little bit. And then my writing partner and I went out to Portland, Maine, where the VA agency was just named um, Small Agency of the Year. So I worked on Klondike, worked on um, what else? a whole bunch of other stuff. We pitched Mini Cooper, did a whole bunch of really cool stuff. And then we moved back to Minneapolis, where I worked at Martin Williams for a couple of years. And then I was at Periscope for about seven years, working on Trolley, um, Minnesota Twins, um, Carbon, um, Carbon Works, and you know, great clubs, whole bunch of new business. And then now I'm at Preston Spire, uh, a small little agency in Minneapolis. They used to be, they started out as Kirker, and then it was Preston Kelly, and now we're Preston Spire, where the whole motto is um, good wins. So do work so good that it's welcome into people's lives. So that's the whole thing. Like every brief we get, we try to make stuff emotional or funny or anything just so people want to engage with the work, not, you know, change the channel or do stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at now. That's great. I mean, and you know, you've got some, you've got, you've got quite a few uh, names in there in terms of, you know, places that you've been. So you're, you're no, you're no slouch, my friend. Um, and, and that's really what, what I've noticed about the work that you have been promoting on, on LinkedIn is just how uh, moving it is. One that, one that sticks in my brain and I'm sure we'll jump around, but one that sticks in my, my brain a lot is the one about the, uh, the life vest. Um, which was really, I mean, that wasn't, you know, funny at all, it, uh, but right. it was, but it, it, it appeared as if it was going to be, and then it just sucked you right in. If you wouldn't mind, just tell the audience a little bit about that, about that campaign. Sure. So, um, I have two, two little boys, they are six and almost nine. And so I, I picked them up from school one day and, you know, did the typical like, Hey guys, how was your day? And they're like, it was great. We did the we did the bad guy drill today. I'm like, oh, you know, what's the bad guy drill? They're like, oh, we hide in the bathroom in case a bad guy comes to our school and we're just really, really quiet. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, you know, growing up, you know, in small town Minnesota, you know, I we did like tornado drills and fire drills, which were terrifying. And so now my my boys are part of this culture where, you know, wherever you go, something could happen with gun violence, you know. And so we were shopping, grocery shopping at Aldi and where you could rent, you know, how you rent like the grocery carts, put the quarter in. I was, it, it just popped in my head. I'm like, God, what if we did this stunt where we would rent out bulletproof vests to people as they went grocery shopping? So that was, that was the initial idea. And so I think a couple of years ago, Leo Burnett did that beautiful campaign, um, The Lost Class with, with Change the Ref, which is an organization that was founded by um, Manuel and Patricia Oliver. They lost their son, um, Joaquin, during the Parkland school shooting. And so the day, so the day that that happened, they both basically decided that the rest of their life, they're just going to become activists and get gun reform. And so they they do sit-ins at the cap you know the 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 national capital they they do you know they did a lost class they did the the children's book of you know joaquin's first school shooting and so they're they're very very active and making a change which is great and so we we presented the idea to them they loved it and it, it took about a year to finally make it happen but they they came to minneapolis we made a rack where we had bulletproof vest hanging and then we just went all over town. So like out of, outside of a grocery store, outside of a theater, um, on a running path. And we just had them holding the vest, asking people if they wanted to try them on. 
and you know of course people are like well why are you handing this to me and we had a flyer saying like this is our new life you know like if we don't make some kind of change you know like if it's raining out you grab an umbrella it's snowing out you grab your parka and it's like oh i'm gonna run i'm gonna go to a parade okay i need to get right. my bulletproof, bulletproof vest and so um it's 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 a really you know dear, near and dear topic you know just because my children are living this and you know we're all living this and since we launched that project i think there's probably been like 20 more shootings because it just keeps happening right um and, and so the the whole point of the campaign was just to keep people talking about gun reform and gun violence because it's it's to the point now that it happens so much that we're just like oh yeah, yeah it's on page 5 a, now of the times instead of front yeah. page and it, it, I don't know if you've you've ever caught yourself um, saying something like this, where it's like, "Oh, well, it was only it was only you know it was only three, yeah. right?" And you're not saying it literally like eh, it's no big deal, but I mean, it just it it becomes weird. So I love that 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 the and the video that you guys did, which was kind of like a like a commercial, sort of like a a direct to consumer commercial, right? With all the with all the bright starbursts and like order now, you know, are you going to the supermarket? Are you going right. here? And and it just contextualized how ridiculous the whole thing really is, right? And it's and it's kind of like yeah, it, this is kind of where we're heading, where. You'll probably, you know, this will be our reality where you're like, I'm going to the grocery store. Let me get my bulletproof vest. Well, I mean, the, the thing that's crazy about the whole situation, they're they're looking at the architecture of schools. Instead of having straight hallways, they're, they're making them, you know, diagnosed so people can hide. It's like, that's not the solution. That's bizarre. I hadn't heard that, but. Yeah. So, I mean. And so it's it's in the same vein of like, oh, like, instead of changing gun laws, like, why don't we just wear bulletproof vests and. You know, it, it's it's crazy, and you know, I I always think advertisers have such a huge platform to do work. You know, use creativity for the better good of society. Like, you know, this thing popped up in the New York Times because right now the Olivers they they decked out a school bus, and it's called the Guac Magic. Uh, the Guac Magical Tour, and they started in Parkland, and they did the whole Southern, they went up through LA, and now they're heading back um, east. But every town that had some sort of gun violence, they're like connecting with parents, and really doing like this big movement. And so, yeah. you know, it, it's, it, it's crazy, you know, like, if, you know, if I lost my children, I I don't know if I could face this nightmare every single oh day. Oh, my God. Yeah. I and, and yeah. you know, Manny and Patricia are, you know, absolutely amazing human beings, like, greatest humans on, on this earth so if i if i heard you correctly that was an example of you sort of being being proactive right because if uh, if i heard you correctly you you sort of brought that idea to them or were they already a client or how did that how did that work out no i uh i brought the idea to chris preston a preston spire i was like hey i'm I had this idea. I'm really passionate about it. Would this be something the agency would be interested in doing? And, you know, Jennifer and Chris both 100% backed it up and, you know, we made it happen. It, it was great. You know, so it's, um, it, it's one of those things that, you know, to be proactive about, like, it doesn't have to be something, you know, gun violence, like, sure. you know, talking to, you know, especially like junior mids or even senior level creatives, 
if if you're not happy with what what briefs you're getting, you know, I I know before COVID, like the whole side hustle thing was kind of like you need to have a side hustle or you know what are you doing with your life, you know, kind of bullshit. Yeah. But I, I do think that if you're not getting what you want out of your career, like I think putting in that extra effort of like, okay, what is something that I want to do? What is a, a you know, a, a project or a problem I see out in the world that I can use creativity to help them out with. And if you do it right, it turns out to be a great piece that you can put into your portfolio. That's, that's amazing. And what I love about this, that particular story and probably others, right, is the fact that, you know, the leadership of your agency um, shares that, shares that idea of being proactive and thinking ahead. And, and that I would imagine is, is rare, I think, right? Because that takes time out of, you know, whatever it is that they might be doing to drum up business or, you know, whatever it is that the day-to-day running of an agency requires, right? For them to step outside of that and listen to your idea, recognize that it's a good one, and then help you bring it to life. I mean, I think that probably says a lot about the agency. So uh, kudos to to your leadership there. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a creative's dream when when you can work at a place and you can pitch ideas to the the owners essentially and saying like, Hey, I really want to do this. And they're like, we a hundred percent agree. Let's make it happen. You know, obviously we have to get, you know, the paying client stuff done first, but you know, when, when you, I think when you have a great idea, you have the passion behind the idea. Like, I think that just energizes everybody around you to be like, holy shit, like he's either really crazy or he's really passionate about this. And, right. then, and then it just kind of spreads and, and they see, they see the end result and it, and it inspires other people in the agency to be like, okay, cool. That was a really cool project that we did. Like, what else can we do? Like what, how can I, you know, as an individual be proactive about something to, you know, even if it's a current client to bring something to them that they didn't even ask for because, if you got briefed on a, say a direct mail assignment and they're like, we just want a postcard to send out. And it's like, okay, here's that postcard, but here's this thousand foot big idea. That's really going to show up in culture and make your name be known, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it sounds like that's a real life example or well, what's that, what's that all about? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So this was a couple of years ago. One of um, one client that we were working on, it was uh Forest Carbon Works, which just by the sound of it, you're like, I don't really want to work on that. It sounds really complicated. It sounds really confusing. But once we dug in, the the whole concept behind this organization, they would find landowners that would have thousands of acres of trees, have them make a lifetime commitment of not cutting the trees down so they can offset carbon um, being released by the manufacturers in that area. And so we were briefed on this assignment and they're like, we're just going to send a postcard to these, you know, landowners. And my partner and I were thinking, we're like, okay, well, we're trying to save the planet. We're trying to save trees. Why would we cut down a whole bunch of trees and send out a, you know, a direct mail piece? Like it right. just didn't make any sense. And so we, we pitched one idea called, God, it was called like the greenest direct mail piece or something like that. And we were going to get homing pigeons and have them fly to the landowners and like drop this little letter. 
And so when we told the producer, we're like, hey, dude, like, we need to find out like how homing pigeons work and all this stuff. And, and I worked with this producer a ton of times and he's just like, I know you're not fucking kidding with me, Brett. Like I will, I will look into it, whatever, you know? And so he found this guy down in, I think it was somewhere in Texas, but his whole life, like all he does is deal with homing pigeons. Yeah. And there's actually a, a book that has pictures of these pigeons and like how many flights they've been on and like all this stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they didn't buy that idea. Um, they loved it, but they just couldn't execute it in, in enough time. But the idea that they did buy, um, it was called the chainsaw that saves trees. And basically we had um, a rep from the company show up over on the East coast in Maine where like these landowners had all these trees and they delivered this chainsaw. And so you probably think like, well, how does a chainsaw tr save a tree? Well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you have a whole bunch of cattle, like you have like a sick cow, you don't let that sick cow live like, cause it's going to spread. And so when you have a sick tree, you got to take that tree down. So like, sometimes you have to make those hard decisions. And so they showed up with these chainsaws. They like all these landowners signed up for this program and I think it was shortlisted for like, um, is either Muse or one of those things like, uh, in, like impact climate change awards or something like that. But that whole assignment started with like, Hey, we just want a direct mail piece. And we saw the opportunity of like, okay, we, we did make a direct mail piece, but it was from tree scraps that we printed on. Like we would burn. That was like the follow up direct mail piece. So we answered the brief technically. But we saw it as a bigger opportunity. Yeah, and so you created this 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 thing, which was I don't want to categorize it as a stunt, but it was more of an experience, right? And probably a few people got it. You probably filmed it. Yep. Uh, and then you still did did the did the brief. Yeah. It and and they loved it. You know, it was we were on this call, and the client was like, "Hey, I just searched up the this the chainsaw that saves lives or saves trees org, you know, and the domain's not available. And we're just like, oh my God, like we just pitched this incredible idea and like one small little detail we forgot about. We're like, yeah. we're like, what are you serious? He's like, yeah, I just bought it. And so like during the, as we're presenting the work, like he bought the domain name. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to be doing this campaign for sure. That's really cool. That's awesome. So obviously we're, we're talking about examples here, right? But just to just to knock people over the head, the real story here is about how at some point in your career you realized that hey, I got to create the opportunities that I want to do the type of work that I want to do. At what point did that happen? Where were you more or less? Whether in age or you know even if you want to talk about where you were at what agency? When did that finally click to you where you're like? I can either sit here uh, and com and complain that I'm not getting you know cracks at, at at really cool briefs or cool projects, or I can just pitch shit that I want to do and see what happens. When did that happen, man? Um, well, I think I've always kind of had kind of that entrepreneurial spirit to yeah. myself. Um, so I, I remember when I was a junior and I was working at FCB and I was working on garbage and I was like. God, I fucking hate doing these break room posters for Motorola. Like, this is terrible. And so I emailed Luke Sullivan, who was at GSDNM at the time, and I was, you know, Fallon Legend. And I was just like, hey, dude, how did you guys do it? Like, how did you make opportunities? And he's like, everything that comes across your desk is an opportunity, which I agree with. Like, you can make an opportunity out of like a ton of stuff, but like, 
sometimes it doesn't work. The client's like, no, we don't want that. We want this banner ad. That's all we want. Right. So I've always kind of had it in the back of my head, but I would say in the last three to four years, I would say I started looking at things differently. Like I always, you know, like when I got out of ad school, you know, I wanted to work at Crispin. It was the hot shop. It was the agency of the decade. And, you know, like there's the Wyden and Kennedys, they're the Drogas, the Mischiefs, like all, all great agencies. But I, I almost like attach like my self-worth to it of like, if I didn't get into these agencies, like I am a hack, like I am a terrible creative, like I should go back to Kinko's because I don't deserve to work in advertising. And so like one day it just kind of clicked to me of like, well, instead of just like holding this like unrealistic goal above your head, like why don't you just start making stuff happen for yourself? And so I tried it out and it worked, you know, like obviously not every project gives you the opportunity, but it's kind of like, you know, those really cheesy like eighties and nineties rom-coms where someone's just like, I have the self-confidence now I'm going to do it. You yeah. know, do the and, montage. Yeah. Do the, do the montage. And so I just started, you know, instead of complaining and being like, well, you know, if I worked at X, Y, and Z, like this shit won't happen, you know, like it happens everywhere. Like no matter the name on the door, like you have oh, to absolutely. deal with, with client bullshit. You have to deal with ideas that are dying. But like when you start like thinking about how can I maximize this opportunity or how can I take this little thing and be like, hey, here's what you asked for. You came to us for a reason. This is what you should be doing. And usually the client's like, holy shit. Like, I didn't even think about it like this. We're like, yeah, this is like how we can solve this stuff. And so it's, it's kind of like that, the, the, the thing of just keep pushing yourself and just keep looking for those opportunities, you know? Yeah. And you you sort of glossed over this, and maybe maybe you already knew him on a personal level, but you you just said, "Oh, I emailed Luke Sullivan, so who's you know one of the greatest copywriters of, of all time, <laughs> right. right?" And you know, don't don't uh, uh, um, don't squeeze the Charmin, right? All that all that kind of stuff. Yeah, hey, what, the, who squeezed? Yeah. There's... So he did. So you he... just you literally just out of the blue sent him a a note. Yeah, so he he came to Branco <laughs> to look at books when he released, I think it was like the second or third edition of his book. Yeah. And so I met him kind of briefly. But yeah, I just emailed him out of the blue, just asked him for advice. I mean, I, d I did the same thing with Alec Boguski, you know, when I was looking for a job. I was just like, hey, dude, I love your work. Love your agency. Here's my portfolio. Like, what do you think? Um and he responded and, you know, I ended up getting a job interview out of it. But I, I think, you know, especially as, as a junior or a mid, it's like, you know, you, you, you see all these like brilliant campaigns that your heroes have made, but, you know, end of the day, they're humans. And most of them are like, like, you know, the most talented people I've admired and I met in real life that have been super cool and super helpful because I think it goes back to like when they started, you know, someone, took them under their wing and like helped them out. So I, I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't, I don't want to email, you know, Greg Hahn or I don't want to yeah. email. Cause it's like, well, what am I going to say? It's just like, Hey, look at my portfolio or like ask for advice. Like if he doesn't write back or if she doesn't write back, like who cares? You still took a shot. You know? Yeah. 
and I love that. And I, and I love, I mean, again, that also speaks to, to your approach, right? And the approach that people should, should take is just take a shot, right? Yeah. It can feel embarrassed. It can feel a little off-putting or a little bit embarrassing. Uh, but I've been amazed from my, from my own side at how generous and how kind people have been. I mean, you know, writing to Greg Hahn and just saying, Hey, would you be interested? And and right. him respi- responding so kindly and saying, "Oh yeah, I've heard it. You know, I've heard of it, or I've some some of my friends have been on it and like wanting to do it." Or Chris Doe, right, very early on when I wrote to him just on a, on a lark, and he was like, "Sure." I mean, there people are so generous, and there's a I think it's probably a human, maybe more so in creative people, to want to help because you probably remember how you know how tough it can be or the feelings that you have right maybe as an imposter i'm a hack or whatever so i've always been really um taken with people's generosity and again for the people listening at home right especially if you're an up-and-coming creative or you're kind of in the middle like like um brett was talking about being right just take take chances what do you what do you have to lose you have literally nothing to lose sure maybe you'll get your feelings hurt a little bit if somebody doesn't write back to you but i mean you've got nothing to lose so what else what else you got for us what other kind of tips or ideas on on how to be proactive and take control of your career well i I think what you just said about taking that shot that that's that goes back to clients too like when you see like all the brilliant work you know being done like it's clients that are taking a shot too so like when you when you bring an idea to a client that they're not necessarily asking for but if you can be like Hey, we answered the brief with these two, but like this is answering the brief in a completely different way. Like that, that is another way, you know, that, that brands can be brave. Clients can be brave because they're taking a shot. They're not just going down the middle. Cause I mean, you know, you've been doing this long enough, like brands that just go right down the middle are the ones that are forgotten, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, an advertising career. Like if you don't take those shots, like you're just going to be, you know, bitching and moaning that you didn't take those shots, you know, like, if you fail, you fail, but you learn something from it, you know? And so, um, I think another thing, I think I told you about this, but we did, we just did this, um, PSA for, um, Minnesota gambling Alliance. And yeah, I just saw that. I just saw that one. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's very much like, I don't want to say like anti PSA, but it's, it's really dark. And when, when we sold in this idea, you know, the brief was super simple. It was, People think gambling addiction is not like drug addiction or alcohol addiction. Like they think it's just like something wrong morally with the person. Like they can just stop going to, to the um, casino. So we, we pitch a lot of great I- ideas to our client. Um, and the one that she bought was we were comparing gambling to smoking, drinking and doing cocaine. And so this is, this is a great example of taking a big shot. I mimed all these actions out to her. So, you know, I pretended that I was drinking from a deck of cards. I pretended I was smoking it. And then I went down, did like this fake line of cocaine and I popped up and I've only met this client once before this. And like, I made eye contact, like we did it over zoom and I'm just like, holy shit. Like I'm either going to get fired or this thing is going to be really great. <laughs> and the client just like sat back, like, wow. Like I felt that. And, and that was, you know, like after I'm like, okay, we're totally going to do that. But you know, before I presented that, I don't know what clicked into my head. Like I would have, you know, typically presenting work. I'm like, you know, and, and right now 
would be miming, you know, drinking from a box of cards. But I went and like, hundred percent, and I was just like, I got off the call and it's like, and my wife Alana's like, how was the call? I'm like, I just did a fake line of cocaine in front of a client that I barely know. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, she loves the spot though. It was really amazing. And so we just had a meeting at work today where we went over the work and, and I introduced the work. I'm like, this is the first and last time that I'm ever going to do a, a fake line of cocaine in front of a client because it was just that moment. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, like, what did I just do? Like, you know, like I couldn't even, I didn't even say anything. It was just like this miming everything. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I've heard, you know, you know, stories of a lot of great campaigns that, that people have pitched and clients, you know, as soon as they saw it, they're like, we need to do that. Like, that's brilliant. And, you know, usually when I present work, you know, it's very, I don't know, it's not over the top. I'm not, you know, doing fake lines of cocaine. And so I, I just think like when you believe in an idea, if it's a proactive idea or if it's just a regular idea, like if, if you're not presenting it with confidence, if you're not presenting it that you wholeheartedly believe in it like the clients is going to be like oh you know so i think that's another another little tip like when you present work like believe in the work because if you have that one idea in there that you don't have that you don't like but it's just kind of that safety net like the client knows that it's a safety net the way you presented it you know that it's a safety net and you know they're going to buy the safety net and so just don't even put the safety net in there i like that i like that um, yeah, I mean, and I name, name drop them, uh, all the time, but, but, but Ben Levy talks about that, right? Cause, cause at a certain point as you're coming up as a creative director, it gets drilled into your brain that you shouldn't fall in love with your own ideas, right? Which in, in some ways in the, in the, in the big picture way, that's, it, it's sort of true, right? Like not, you shouldn't like become so enamored with it that you can't hear anybody's critique of it right. but on the flip side you do have to have that passion for it and you because you know he, in his mind when he was coming up he was saying well i just thought that as a creative director i just present it and it's going to be like you know whatever the, whatever they want whatever whatever the best idea is but you know you do have to sort of present it with some with some passion yeah and and i think you know for the most part i think when a client sees an idea they're like yes that's what we need to do but if if they're not that savvy and you present three great ideas, just like very monotone, not excited, they're just kind of like, well, I don't know which one to pick because the agency's not excited about any of these. Like, am I excited about any of these? Like, are these good or are they shitty? You know, so I, I think, um, you know, you, you got to be passionate and, you know, don't get too attached to an idea. Like, I think that's probably one of the hardest things to learn as a junior. Like, you, you're so eager to get something made and jack because your whole book is just full of spec stuff you know yeah. and then you get hit over the head you're like holy shit like this is definitely not as fun as ad school because there's like money involved there's clients involved there's logistics and all that stuff and so you know you you do see a lot of ideas you know like there's always you know now that we use google slides for all presentation there's always like the graveyard that that has you know like 30 40 oh, yeah. slides of like stuff that you love but you know, after you make something, you look back, you're like, God, I'm really glad they didn't buy that idea. Like, really, you know, in, in retrospect, it, it didn't really make any sense, you know? Yeah. So, so, so some, it's like passionate disattachment. Like, be passionate about it, but you also have to kind of right. detach yourself from it at, at you some to, point. You have to know when to abort the, the seat from the idea when it's, yeah. it's not working. But, you know, that's the thing, you know, like, 
you know, like I, I think some of the, my favorite people I, I went to ad school with and same, same people that I work with, you know, just finding the energy to like be proactive about stuff and looking for those opportunities. Like if it's with the current client or if it's for some nonprofit that you're super passionate about, um, I, I think, I think that's key, especially, you know, as a junior in mid, that's not, you know, if they're not getting the briefs yet because they're too junior or that their agency doesn't do a lot of broadcast or big projects, you know, I think start figuring out like where you want, where, where you, where you want to go with your career, like what kind of work do you like making and make that, just make it on a smaller scale because that's kind of what you have to do because there's not money, you know, and right. now. Yeah. And that, yeah. And, and and now that we have like iPhones and everything, like it's, I don't want to say it's easy to make your own stuff, but like when I was in ad school, we had flip phones, you know, and yeah. you could, you can play snake on it, you know, which was cool at the time. But, you know, now, you know, you can go out and shoot your own commercial. Absolutely. You have to, I mean, it's, it's probably better that you do it that way anyways, because you can't rely on like all these different cuts and all these different like post effects, like. It's going to be like two or three shots because you're going to have to figure out how to cut that thing together in iMovie, you know? Yeah. So you, you you have the tools. You just have to, I think, be disciplined and not wait for the opportunity to come to you. You just kind of have to make them yourself. So let me ask you this because, you know, you're still you're still progressing in your your career, right? Somebody somebody listening uh, who's been at this a much longer time, right? How do you have you just been that lucky and that um, you know talented enough that you presented uh, lots of these kind of outlier ideas that that were selected, or was it like a lot of a lot of no's to get to the yes? And and if that's the case, how do you, how do you keep how do you keep that motivation right? Because for somebody that's been in the business a long time and and knows the realities of of what we do, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit disheartening, right? Because you you come in with that energy, right? Like I'm going to pitch this thing, and then after a while, you start realizing, well, you know, that maybe that's never going to work with this client. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. you know what I'm asking. Yeah, I think I think it all matters on the project. Um, you know, I was I've been lucky enough to work with. Um, you know, creative directors or leaders that got behind ideas and helped sell them in, you know, especially with the chainsaw thing. Yeah. That, cause I was, I was probably senior art director around that time. So we, you know, definitely a lot of help with that. But I mean, the life vest, there is, God, I don't even know how many no's we got before that happened. You know, it, I, I think we, we pitched it to so many people. I remember jumping on, um, yeah, what is what is that website where like actors have like all their IMBD? Yeah, IMDB. Yeah, I was I was on that like trying to find agents for celebrities that were like anti-gun to like try to get funding because wow. and I would get replies of like, yeah, we'll post it on social and then I'm like, no, 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 like I'm looking for funding. I'm like, I great, you can post it on social and then I never heard back. So, we went down like every avenue, but you know, going back to my two little kids, I'm like, I knew that I had to keep being persistent to get this idea through. And it was challenging. It was, you know, it was, it was super hard. But then if you think about the grand scale of things of like gun violence and like how, how much impact this idea could potentially have, it kind of motivates you to keep doing it. Um, 
and I run on coffee, so I don't think I ever get tired, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good coffee, tenacity, positivity, and, you know, always being proactive. That's, that's the, uh, the uh, uh, Brett Esmond secret recipe yeah. for success. And, is that right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and Oreos, not the double stuff. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So you can dunk them in there. But I, uh, I, I yeah, think even, ahead. you know, like even when you get feedback from clients on stuff, um, you know, so, like if they don't get it right away or if they're like, you know, we like this idea, but we also like number three, like how can we merge Combine those? Combine them, yeah. Yeah, you know, the good old Frankensteining. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's really easy to get, you know, like really pissed off and and complain about it. But, you know, complaining just takes away from time of how you can solve the problem, you know. So I, I think if if you look at it as another opportunity to go back to the table with better thinking, a better solution than what you did the first round, like I, I think that's a better approach than being negative about things because yep. I mean, there, there's so much negativity in the world anyway. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like when we make ads, you know, like if, if they don't pick ad number one that we liked, you know, the world's going to go on, you know, there, yeah. there's not a huge amount of pressure. Yeah. But, but I, I think like if, if you can look at like almost like every turn of something as like a opportunity to make something better than what you did the round before, I think is, is a good mindset to have. Yeah. Yeah, and something that I try to remind myself about um, and, and my team is like the the coming up with the ideas is the work. Right. Right? And sometimes, you know, not seeing them come to life hurts, right? Or it get it, it's discouraging. But if you try to focus on like, man, we get to like dream up shit and write it down on paper and, you know, visualize it and and, 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 and pitch it. That is the work, right? So if you can if you can focus on on getting your kicks out of that, right, and less on like it actually coming to life, that would probably be better. And I'm not saying that I I'm I'm talking to myself here because I'm of that, you know, I have been of that camp where it's kind of like, well, it's not getting made, so who cares? Well, you still had the idea and you still put it out on paper right. and you and people and people talked about it and they liked it, didn't didn't get made. But if you can focus on that, you probably have more satisfaction. Yeah, it's. And and that that's a hundred percent true. Like if if you only focus on the stuff that lives, like I mean, we, we you know we 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 make something and then you look at it on YouTube and like someone hates it and you're like, "Fuck you! Why do you hate my idea? Like I worked really hard on this, you know." Um, but it's it's true. Like you you got to take you got to take the victories when you can get the victories. And just I, I think to have longevity in this business, you just got to stay positive, be a good human being and just have fun and and look for opportunities. Well, I think you just I think you just described uh yourself to a T there. Uh positive, good human being, creative, uh all those things. So I'm sure now and we, we probably opened the floodgates. Now you're going to start being the person receiving, you know, all the inbound from people from from younger creatives, you know, coming into the business or or that need to kind of hear some some words of encouragement or some advice. I'm sure now if they haven't already, uh, your LinkedIn inbox is going to get uh, filled up. So thanks well, for thanks for sharing that with us. I think it's a timely message and probably one that we need to hear from from time to time. Right? Is is you know because you we tend to sometimes get in a rut and it's like okay, gotta gotta got to re-up the energy and got to remember, yep. you know, to, to be proactive. Yeah. And, you know, and to your point, like 
to all the listeners out there, like I'm happy to give any advice. All the I failed a million times. I'm gonna fail a million more. You know, I'm happy to share my my failures with you or look at your book or give send you a pack of Oreos, like whatever you need. I'll help you through, <laughs> through your rut. All right. Well, thank you so much. We will be in touch. Um, I'm glad that um, that we connected, and I, I always enjoy you know trading uh, messages back and forth with you. And I hope we can continue that. And thanks again for being on the show and continued success, man. For for real, the stuff that that you're doing there is just you know it, it's it's amazing. It's some of it's heartwarming. We didn't get to talk about the candles, but I'll post a link to that. Some of it's really you know punch you in the gut, just like the. Um, the, the life jacket and the, the gambling. You're doing great work there, so uh, keep it up, and I look forward to seeing more of your work. Very kind, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Take care, buddy. All right. See bye. you. All right. And that's going to do it, folks, for another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director. Thanks to my very special guest, Brett Essman. Everybody, please check Brett Essman's work out. It is really compelling. He's doing some amazing work there in Minneapolis. Uh, the work that we talked about, check that out, The Vest. Uh, also, the uh, Campaign for Gambling. Super compelling work that just grabs you, pulls you in. Uh, super dimensional from the experiential to the content. Really, really impressed with what Brett is doing. So he's someone to definitely keep an eye on. All right. If you're looking to up your game and become a creative director, and you're like, what the hell does a creative director do? You need to pick up my book. What's the Big Idea, an indispensable guide for becoming not only a creative director, but a kick-ass creative director. Uh, this book is really just the uh, boiling down of my experience, my 20-plus years of experience in this uh, business. It's got everything from how to overcome uh, imposter syndrome to how to lead creative teams to how to lead an ideation uh, really, everything that you need to know to at least be prepared to talk about the role is in this book. So pick it up. It's available on Amazon or wherever you buy books. It's also available as an audio book. Um, and if you want to get some one-on-one -on -one coaching, reach out to me. Hit me up on LinkedIn or check out my website, imacabrerecreative.com for special deals on one-on-one -on -one coaching. All right. Until next time, peace, love, and creativity. See you. But could you make the logo bigger?